find yourself living in a shotgun shack. And you may find yourself in another part of the world. And you may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile. And you may find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife. And you may ask yourself, well, how did I get here? Letting the days go by, letting the water hold me down, letting the days go by, water flowing underground, into the blue again, after the money's gone, once in a lifetime, water flowing underground. And you may ask yourself, how do I work this? And you may ask yourself, where is that Hey, how's it going everybody? This is Chris. Welcome back to Merry X-Lapsed, where today we're... You know, I would normally say we'd be, you know, taking a step off the beaten path, but today we might just be taking a uh, giant-sized leap <laughs> off of the beaten path. Now, if you read the title, you'll know that we're not covering an X-book today. And uh, if you've been following the show and all the shows here, you'll know that we don't always just cover books with X in the title. We try to cover everything that has anything to do with mutants in it, and... Uh, I don't know if we're necessarily bending that rule to the point uh, where it might snap today, or if I'm just uh, thinking too hard, but um, the character that we're going to meet in this issue of Thor, at least according to the Marvel Wiki, is a mutant. And a mutant who's apparently still alive and apparently still powered. We just, uh, well, we've never seen him since, is the thing. But uh, let's get into it here, because this is going to be a weird and wonderful and fun little story. Now, this is Thor, number 444, February 1992 cover date. The story title is How the Grunk Stole Christmas, which um, is a reference to something. I'm pretty sure you can figure it out. Plot and words by Tom DeFalco. Plot and pencils by Ron Friends. Finishes Al Milgram. Letters Michael Heisler. Colors Mike Rockwitz. Edits Machio. Cover price a buck and a quarter. Now, before we get into the story, um, anybody following this channel knows that I'm not the biggest Thor fan. Uh, you know, I've been known to say Thor is a bore, and I stand by that. Um, this uh, this era of Thor is particularly odd, as it's, uh, well, it's not the Thor we know. This is Eric Masterson in the role of Thor, the fellow who had become Thunderstrike. And uh, definitely an, an era of this book, or of this character, that I am... Very, very uh, unfamiliar with, even more so than regular old Thor, but uh, we'll get there, we'll get there. Let's get into the story. Now, we open with Eric Masterson. As mentioned, he is Thor at the time. He is uh, walking down a busy, snowy city sidewalk on his way back from paying way too much for a Christmas gift for his son, Kevin. He spent $500 for some racing tracks, which, I tell you what, that would even sound expensive today in, you know, 2021. Now, he figures it's all worthwhile, considering he's, uh, well, he's basically just trying to buy the kids' love at this point. Eric's ex-wife is remarried to a big-time pro football player, so uh, our hero is all shades of squirrely and inferior feeling at, the, at this point. Anyway, as he walks, uh, he exposits a bit about how he's currently Thor. He's just a, th a stand-in for the actual Thunder God, uh, who he's been searching for ever since getting the gig. You see, Heimdall banished Thor somewhere... And, you know, uh, just saying the word Heimdall nearly put me to sleep, so let's move on. Um, now, he also thinks about how he was just evicted from his apartment. He also has a lady friend named Susan Austin who's in the hospital, and uh, she hasn't regained consciousness since a recent operation. 
Now, I'm not sure if this is a story beat stemming from some sort of supervillain hoodoo or just something that happened. I suppose for, you know, the context of this issue, in and of itself, it really doesn't matter so much. Anyway, there's a woman walking next to him, also on her way back from a shopping excursion. Now, she looks at Eric and thinks to herself that he's a fine young man who probably doesn't have a single care in the world, which, I mean, this is DeFalco. This is kind of an old-school book with a very old-school feel to it, but, uh, I mean, even when it was released in 1991, reading the thoughts of a passerby definitely feels, like, way past its sell-by date. Now, you might be wondering why we're paying so much attention to this woman, right? Well, we only get into her head because of what's about to happen next. You see, as she walks on ahead of our hero, she finds herself noinked into a darkened alleyway. She lets out a scream which uh, catches Eric's bemulleted attention. He rushes around the corner to find her, you know, standing there, freaking out. She explains that a creature had grabbed her, but had only swiped one of her packages before letting her go. Eric tells the woman to hang tight until the police arrive, and then, without, you know, calling the police, he runs off. All the while, he kicks himself for letting this happen right under his nose. He thinks to himself that Captain America would not be pleased to learn he'd committed such a boner, and uh, more on that later. From here, Eric taps the cane, turns into Thor, and takes to the skies to get a better perspective on this odd robber. Oh, and uh, by the way, he's still carrying Kevin's $500 racing set under his arm, and he decides to hold on to it rather than risk losing it. After all, he does not have another 500 bucks in his bank account. Anyway, we join our man in the sky, but he can't find the baddie. We, however, can see the baddie as he slinks away into the sewers. Thor returns to the woman who'd been robbed to find the police already taking her statement. Now, the officers are quick to fill Thor in on the goings-on. It would look as though there's a serial gift stealer on the loose, and a gift stealer who only ever takes one package, and it's not necessarily the most expensive or valuable one, so quite curious. One of the officers notes that Thor's got a Super Jammers racetrack under his arm and jokes that it must be the way that the Avengers you know, blow off steam and kill time at the mansion. He then comments that he found one at half price at Toys R Us, which causes our hero's heart to shrink three or four sizes. And uh, for any youngsters listening, uh, Toys R Us used to be a store that sold toys. And uh, it doesn't exist anymore, but it's about to exist again. Apparently, uh, they're opening up Toys R Us um, sections in Macy's stores. I was in a Macy's a few weeks ago and saw the, uh, you know, Jeffrey the Giraffe there, and uh, I guess they're getting ready to... Start up the old Toys R Us again so that all of us Gen Xers who lamented the loss of Toys R Us all those years ago will continue to shop online and not give them any money until they go out of business again. Anyway, our scene shifts to later on where Masterson arrives at the home of his ex-wife and her new husband, New York Smashers, uh, some position or another, uh, Bobby Steele. Now, he is a muscle-bound, bemulleted, mustachioed fellow. Now, Bobby answers the door and comments that they were starting to think that Eric wasn't going to show. Eric, being kind of a dick, comments on how the Smashers didn't make the playoffs this year. Bobby blames it all on bad officiating. Eric then makes his way into the apartment where he finds the place totally decked out for Christmas. It's almost as though the place, like like a toy store, literally exploded in the living room there. Now, the ex, she comments on Eric's new beard and after taking a pregnant pause, says it's, uh, charming... Eric's son Kevin comes scampering over to hug his dad, and uh, Eric gives him the gift. And I tell you what, 
If I were a person who bet money, I would have bet money that this bit was going to play out completely differently. Uh, Kevin, he's very, very excited. He's totally psyched for the Super Jammers, where, you know, I was sure we were going to find out that either Bobby already got him the Jammers or got him something far better. So it's nice to see, uh, you know, old Eric win one here. Anyway, as this scene plays out, we get some comedy, I guess we'll call it comedy, about Bobby Steele's health obsession as he goes off to fetch a low-fat eggnog substitute. Because, as we all know, people not wanting to clog their arteries is hilarious. Now, uh, speaking as a recovering eggnog addict myself, I gotta commend Bobby's restraint. I know it's been uh, terribly difficult for me personally. You know, I have to assume that it's his discipline that makes Bobby's life so much better than Eric's at this point. By the way, uh, Bobby does come back with some, like, steaming hot mugs, which, uh, if that's eggnog, that's friggin' disgusting. Um, I can imagine, like, a curdled mess at the bottom of those cups, and that's, that's enough to turn you off eggnog altogether. Anyway, it's here where Eric decides to take his leave after a tightly, very, very tightly hugging his son. He exits, door left. Once he's gone, uh, Eric's ex, uh, Marcy is her name, by the by, she notices that Kevin looks a little bit upset. She asks him if there's uh, anything she can do for him, to which he says he's almost afraid to ask. Ask what? Well, we'll find out later. From here, we follow our man into another alley, where he taps the cane and thaws up. Now, he figures that a little hammer swinging might clear his head, which, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm not sure I want my Thor swinging the hammer just to clear his head. You know, maybe have a purpose. Uh, Anyway... From here, we get into the head of a nebbish goober who's trying to figure out how many of these Christmas gifts he just bought he can deduct from his taxes. Because, you know, making sure you get the most back from Uncle Sam is totally, totally lame. Anyway, this is all moot as, you guessed it, he's noinked into yet another alley. I tell you, there's a lot of alleys in this Thor book. Now, Thor manages to catch this as it's going down and he takes off after the thief. Oh, and uh, by the way, the poor victim is crying out about how his personal insurance does not cover street theft. You get it? This guy's obsessed with his uh, personal wealth and worth. It's comedy, right? I mean, yuppie comedy was still relevant and funny in 1992, right? Okay, let's, let's get on with the action here. We got Thor, he's given chase, right? But he's then struck by a pair of red beams. He finds himself sapped of strength and, in his words, as weak as a kitten. When he recovers, he finds himself in the presence of Gronk, or Gronk, or Grunk. I don't know how we'll say that. I'll probably say it all different ways here. Uh, What he is is a burly green mutant in a torn Santa suit. And uh, I don't know that I mentioned this yet, uh, but uh, this issue is dedicated to Dr. Seuss, which uh, you probably picked up on by now. So, despite the fact that Gronk has only ever made two appearances... Well, actually, one appearance, this one, and one mention. Okay, he was in this issue, and he was also in the Thor the Legend one-shot from 1996, around the time where Heroes Reborn kicked off, where he was listed as one of Thor's lamest enemies ever. Okay, now, despite that, he's able to withstand the full force of a hammer throw. Like, the hammer doesn't even knock him back any. He's like friggin' Doomsday in a Santa suit, which doesn't read to me as though he's one of the lamest villains or lamest enemies. That's that's pretty badass, isn't it? Anyway, Thor decides to, uh, well, spidey up the encounter by engaging in some snarky banter, which, 
really comes across as dorky. Um, now, he asks what a gronk is and if it's something he ought to be offended by. Now, gronk, being a one-note throwaway monster, only ever utters one word, and it's gronk. Now, uh, Gronk, unable to deal with Thor's really awful banter for even another second, then bashes his way through the alley wall right into the department store on the other side. Now, the people inside are torn on whether or not they ought to run or continue their holiday shopping because consumerism. Hilarious. Uh, Thor follows Gronk and finally manages to take him off his feet by attacking him from behind. I, I, I guess all's fair in hammer tossing, right? Then he gets a good look at, at Gronk's face here and notices that his eyes are glowing red. Huh, in the words of a young Scott Summers, maybe he has the curse. Now the baddie lets loose a pair of optic blasts that aren't aimed at Thor, but at one of the support beams for the store, and the place starts tumbling down. Though even now, some of our shoppers don't want to leave without their holiday goodies, so, uh, consumerism, ha, hmm. Uh, scene shift. Let's go to Eric's apartment, or, well, his old apartment. Um, this is the one he's been evicted from for uh, destroying. Now, here we meet up with Jackie Lucas, whoever she is. Now, I'm assuming she's a love interest for our uh, swinging single Thor stand-in. She comments on how torn she is, uh, as she recently just caught Eric making time with Lena Moran, whoever she is. Once up the stairs, she runs into Jerry Sapristi, Say it with me, whoever he is. Now, Jerry is uh, sweeping up some of the mess left from the destruction of the place and tells Jackie that he's just being a good pal to Mr. Masterson. Just then, the pair are approached by a shadowy man with a great big shield on his back who's asking about the whereabouts of old Eric. Now, I really don't know why Captain America needed to be in shadow, but wh whatever. I mean, were we maybe supposed to think it was a U.S. agent? I... I don't know. Anyway, Jerry says that Eric is likely checking in on Susan Austin at the hospital, and so Cap thanks them and heads off. Meanwhile, Thor and the Grunk uh, are still duking it out. Grunk is very much kicking the living hell out of the Thunder God, which, again, doesn't seem like something that one of Thor's lamest villains ought to be able to do. Anyway, I mean, he's beating the crap out of our hero. Until a dog with antlers taped to its head wanders over and starts barking at him. Now this gets Gronk's attention, and we'll soon find out why. Our baddie decides to flee while Thor continues his really, really bad comedy act. Let's bear witness to some of these lines here. Uh, here's one. Some days it just doesn't pay to be a superhero. And then he says, I'll bet nobody screws with Spider-Man like this. Then, upon realizing that Gronk took off, he says, Hey, where's Waldo? Oh, don't tell me the dismissal bell sounded while I was under the rubble. Ouch. I mean, when you say this stuff out loud, it really underscores how horrible it is. Uh, this dialogue is reaching, like, sub-spidey newspaper strip levels of corniness. It's something else, I tell you what. Anyway, Gronk heads back to the sewers, but this time Thor is quick enough to follow him down. Our hero manages to get the better of this exchange based mostly on the fact that Gronk has decided to stop fighting back. It's the only way Thor's going to win this one. Then, Thor finds himself dogpiled by a group of homeless people who have taken to living in the sewers. Now, you might think these are the Morlocks. I know I did, but uh, no, they're just ordinary sewer dwellers. Thor threatens to knock all the teeth out of the head of the next person who jumps him, which, judging from this group of folks, doesn't sound like it would be all that hard to do. 
Uh, a stiff breeze might knock the teeth out of some of them. Uh, Thor is then approached by a little girl who's carrying that antlered dog. Now she introduces herself as Cindy Lou. Who? No, no, just Cindy Lou. She asks that Thor stop hurting everyone. She says that Gronk is a good person who protects her and her human Morlock ilk. They found him wandering the tunnels while they set up their sewer camp, so perhaps Gronk is a Morlock then. Again, I don't know, I'm using the Marvel wiki here to deduce that he's a mutant in the first place to kind of justify us discussing this very strange issue. Uh, one of the homeless then tells Thor that Gronk is as gentle as a kitten. And hey, Thor himself was just as weak as a kitten a few pages ago, so I guess they've got that in common. Anyway, Thor asks about the thievery to which Cindy Lou can explain it all. You see, they had been telling Gronk about what Christmas is, and so the dullard decided he wanted to give all the homeless kids a real Christmas. And the only way he could do so was by stealing gifts. They couldn't make Gronk understand that what he was doing was wrong, and they tell Thor that they'll gladly return everything he'd stolen. They also beg that Gronk not be arrested, claiming that they'll keep him out of trouble from this point on. Thor makes the judgment call to leave Gronk behind. Next stop, Eric Masterson visits Susan Austin at the hospital, and via a Christmas miracle, she wakes up. A nurse rushes out to grab Susan's hippie doctor to tell him that she's regained consciousness. And in the room, we get one of those God bless us everyone things because, you know, Christmas. Later, Eric is back on the street where he's approached by Captain America. Now, Cap offers Eric free room and board at the mansion, but tells him that uh, he's got his eye on him due to some recent Thor boners he'd committed. Cap says that Eric has the potential to be one of the greats, if only he'd stop being a jackass. Then we head to the wrap-up. Eric returns back to the apartment he was evicted from, for some reason, and is shocked to see that his friends and family have all gathered there in the ramshackle place to give him a Christmas party he'll never forget. It was all his son Kevin's idea, but all of his pals were keen to play along. And that is how we wrap up. Uh, next issue of Thor, Operation Galactic Storm, which thankfully we will not be covering here. Alright gang, this is probably going to sound completely weird, but uh, I absolutely loved every single page of this. This was so weird, so crazy, so fun. I I can't believe, I'm like sitting here with a stupid smile on my face from this issue. And I mean, I can't say it was a good issue, right? I mean, it was a very off issue, but uh, I I absolutely loved it. Um, I could see this one becoming a, uh, a Christmas tradition for me. Just so silly. And you know, it does the weird thing, like the weirdest thing ever, in that it makes me want to know more about this Eric Masterson Thor. And uh, I, my experience with Masterson is very, very minimal. I did get the first issue of Thunderstrike. I think I got the, like the first two or three because, I mean, it was the early 90s and uh, it had a hologram or a, a foil cover. I believe the Th Thunderstrike number one had like a foil, like a silvery foil cover with uh, Eric, you know, swinging whatever hammer he was using at that point on the in the forefront. But I picked it up because, you know, it was the early 90s and it was a gimmicked cover and those things are going to be worth money even though I'm never going to sell anything. It's just one of those things I wanted to have. And I remember reading it and not caring for it at all. And, uh, I mean, Thor in and of itself, not a very interesting concept to me, no matter who was wielding the hammer. But uh, I tried getting in on the ground floor of the Thunderstrike solo 
And like I mentioned during the synopsis, uh, even then, as, you know, a 12 or 13-year-old know-nothing, you know, very, very new and naive to the comic world, even then I could tell that DeFalco's writing style was uh, something of a relic compared to the other books I was reading. Which, I mean, wasn't like I was reading high art in comparison, but it just felt a lot more relevant, where Thunderstrike and this issue of Thor just feel very, very dated, but like dated to an era before when the book came out. You know, I referenced the Spidey newspaper strip, which, say what you will about the quality of it, um, it felt very, very old-fashioned compared to contemporary comics. I mean, Stan was writing that up until not all that long ago, relatively speaking here, within the past 10 years, to the point where they actually did a brand new day reboot tie-in. I mean, they actually changed the status quo of the newspaper strip to match up with the brand new day Spider-Man. But even with all that, it felt terribly dated. It felt so antiquated and just like a relic of a bygone era. And that's very much how I feel about this issue of Thor, despite the fact that I I absolutely adored it. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with it. It was an absolute blast to talk about and kind of poke a little fun at, but uh, outside of how old-fashioned it felt, uh, I really can't levy uh, a single complaint at it. It felt like it had heart. It felt like something that uh, DeFalco and friends had a lot of fun putting together, and when the creators are having fun and it's not like in a inside joke or a circle jerky kind of way, it shows. And I think anybody who tries giving this issue a read will find themselves getting uh, quite a bit of holiday joy in the uh, in the offing here, whether that's ironically or uh, legitimately. I mean, I guess our mileage may vary, but uh, a fun read. I'm glad that I was, uh, you know, scouring the uh, Marvel Wiki looking for mutants to discuss for this uh for this little uh, Merry X-Lapse endeavor, otherwise I probably would have never come across this issue. But I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. I hope maybe you give it a shot. It is on Marvel Unlimited, and uh, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's in a 50 or 25 cent bin somewhere by your home if you want to check it out. But uh, I recommend you do so. You don't need to know a whole heck of a lot about Thor going into it. I know I didn't. It's just a, a fun little holiday romp. But I think that's where I'll leave it for now. Um, if anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, maybe tip me off to other um, mutant stories that may not have an X in the title that we may have fun checking out for a special occasion or something down the line. Please hit me up. In fact, if uh, you'd like to talk to me about anything in the world, please feel free to hit me up. I, I beg of you. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can find me on Instagram at 90sxmen. You can send an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapse voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head to chrisisoninfiniteearth.com. You can join us on Facebook. 90s X-Men is the group. For the complete audio archives, you can search up Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill on any podcast aggregation application or go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Of course, there is the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash xlapsed, where you can throw a little bit of support my way and get some exclusive content behind the scenes hoodoo and a whole lot more in the works for 2022 and beyond. And hey, it's been a minute since I've done a, uh, I think in the biz they call this a call to action. So if anybody out there would like to spread the word about this program, about the site, about the groups, please feel free to do so. It would really, really mean a lot to me. But uh, I think that's where I'll put a pin in it for now. I'd like to thank you all so much for sharing some of your holiday season with me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya!
Inside your heart 